Hey, welcome. Everybody join us on our online campus. We got upgraded, big technology upgrade that's happened here uh, at our campus here in Hopewell. And uh, you're going to be seeing more and more upgrades in our online campus over the next few weeks as we really learn to kind of harness and utilize some of this. But a uh, big shout out to our tech team, uh, you, you know, Joe Gattuso, Josh Silva, Randy Hood, and Dan Gilman throwing in there as well. This has been a major thing kind of culminating in this LED wall uh, behind us. It's going to give us a lot of ability that we don't have currently uh, to really just enhance our online campus and our in-person uh, Sunday services as well. So we hope you like it. And uh, as I said, you're going to be seeing some, some new wrinkles in the near future uh, as we utilize this. But this is week number two in our series that we're calling Unshakable Faith right there uh, behind me. And we started off last week and we're just really kind of focusing on what makes us who we are in terms of being Protestants. And uh, last week heard a lot of really great feedback, uh, in, you know, uh, and, and just uh, uh, just affirmation, I, I guess you'd say, from uh, people that, that listened to that message, uh, heard that message, saw that message uh, on week number one of Unshakable Faith, uh, when we talked about really scripture or tradition and, and talked about what really launched the Protestant Reformation. There'll be sprinklings of that in, in the future here over the next few weeks. Next week, I want to invite you back. Uh, we'll be talking about one that a lot of people have misunderstandings about. We'll be answering the question, uh, really, pastor or priest? Pastor or priest, those are not synonyms. They mean two very different things, two very different roles, if you will, types of leaders. And uh, we'll be looking at that next week. But today I want to talk about faith or works. Faith or works. And just real quick review from last week. We talked about kind of the three rally cries of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fida, faith alone. And Sola Christo, Christ alone. And, uh, and today we really want to talk about what was really kind of the main issue of the Reformation. And that is the nature of salvation itself. So in theology, we would call it what we're going to look at today. This would be called soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and uh, you may want to write that down and press your friends. Oh, yeah, I learned about soteriology in uh, church on Sunday. But it's not going to be boring because God's word is not boring. If you ever hear God's word preached and it's boring or even theology, it's the messenger. It's not the message. It's fault, okay? So I hope I don't bore you. Uh, if you are bored, it's my fault. But we want to talk about, answer this question, really, uh, faith or works. Which is it? How are we saved? Is it by our faith alone or is it by works and, and I want to jump right in our notes. My notes are on our church website. Uh, you can follow along there because we're going to look at a lot of scripture. I think it's real important, again, sola scriptura, that this is rooted clearly, so clearly in God's word. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 30, the Bible says, and those who he, that's speaking of God, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I think it's so important that we notice that it says he also justified. Uh, God is the one. He is the one that makes us right before him. It's not what we do. He's the one. The Bible makes it so clear. He's the one that actually justifies. And, and Paul says this is something, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans, he says this is something God does himself. 
Now, now let me just stop right here and kind of wind the clock back a little bit. As we talked about last week, uh, Martin Luther, he never intended to be a priest. He actually was studying to be a lawyer, an attorney, and it was really already regarded as one of the most brilliant legal minds in the profession at that time in that whole area of the world. And, and then he was caught in a lightning storm, and he, and he cried out, you know, God save me. If you do, I'll become a priest. And uh, God did save him, and so that's when he went into the priesthood. It was while he was studying the book of Romans that really this whole idea of that we are justified, we are saved by faith alone really hit him because Paul wrote the book of Romans inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's really all about this legal action, activity that God takes, that, that God takes on your behalf, or on my behalf when we place our faith in Christ and that is this thing called justification. And, and so particularly the book of Romans, really is what opened up uh, Martin Luther's mind and understanding that really launched the whole Protestant Reformation because of this legal action that Paul talks about real clearly, and it's in other places as well. And, and so the question I think that we really first need to answer is, what does justified mean? What does justified mean? And, and a real simple way to understand it, it's a complex kind of idea that I hope you're going to understand by the time we're done today, but, but a real simple understanding of justified is this. You almost like break down the word justified. That, that from God's point of view, when we put our faith in Christ, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you. That's how he sees me. We're justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. It's almost the, the whole definition is right there in the word. Just as if I'd never sinned, when I put my faith in Christ, that he died for me through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead, and I receive him as my Savior, it's just as if I've never sinned. That's how God thinks of us. That we're forgiving and we're forgiven and Christ's perfection, now that's how he sees you and I, through Christ's perfection. He doesn't see our sins any longer, and he declares us to be perfect. He declares you and I to be without sin uh, in his sight. And, and so that's the first thing. It's a legal declaration by God. It, it's like the gavel hits. He's the ultimate judge, the cosmic judge of each and every one of us. And when we receive Christ, the gavel hits and they say, Greg is perfect and sinless. And, and it's, a, it's a verdict that he passes over every one of our lives in that moment that we receive Christ and from that point on, it, he sees me, he sees you, if you've received Christ as your Savior, just as if you'd never even sinned. And the Bible talks about this again. A lot of what we're looking at is in the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, and I think this is so important. Uh, you, you know, Like I said, a lot of scripture in the message today. Romans chapter 4, verse 5 and 8 says, But people are counted righteous, look at this now, not because of their work. That's Roman Catholic theology that says we're made righteous because of good works. The only problem with that is, again, sola scriptura. It's not scripture and tradition like we talked about last week. It's sola scriptura. The Bible says people are not made righteous because of their work, but because of their faith in God, the clear teaching of scripture who forgives sinners. David, now is quoting King David from the Old Testament, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are, watch this now, declared righteous without working for it. 
Roman Catholic Church says you're, you're somewhat righteous, but then you've got to work off the rest of your sin by doing good works or in purgatory. None of that is in the Bible anywhere. And so as Protestants, we go back to God's word, Scripture alone. And, and so it says the, uh, those, the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's literally what happens in your life and in my life. When we receive Christ as our Savior, God clears us of sin. He erases the record of sin against you. Every single shortfall, every single time we have missed, every single time, every moment in your life when you've done your will and not God's will, when I've done my will selfishly and not what God wants me to do, it's erased. It's clear. The Lord has cleared us of sin. It goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So there it is again. It's not Greg who justifies myself. It's not you who works off your salvation, you know, works toward it. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He declares you not guilty. He declares me not guilty and he sees me from that point on. I was a boy when I received Christ as my Savior. Have I sinned since then? Oh yeah, every day. But that's not how God sees me and that's not how God relates to me. And that's not how God relates to you either if you've received Christ. He relates to us as if we're perfect and we're sinless. That's the verdict from that moment on when I was a young boy, five years old, for the rest of my life, it's been wiped out. Before and after, sin has been wiped out, not guilty. So the first thing is it's a legal declaration. The second thing is God declares us to be just in his sight. God declares us to be just in his sight. So we're unpacking what does it mean to be justified and then after we do this, I'm gonna answer three questions about this that gets confusing sometimes that people have. God declares us to be just in his sight. We have no penalty to pay for the past, present, or future sins. Really, really important. There is no penalty that there, there left for me for past sins, for present sins, or future sins. Jesus paid it all on the cross. That's why he said it's finished. Paid in full is literally what that means in the original language of the New Testament Koine Greek. When, when we translate it is finished, it literally means paid in full. Paid in full. There's no penalty left for you or for me. Not past, not present, or future. Romans chapter eight, verse one puts it this way. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that if there was a penalty, then we'd be condemned and we have to pay it off. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have received Jesus Christ as their savior, recognizing he lived for me sinlessly. He died for me sacrificially. He rose from the dead for me powerfully. There's no condemnation. I'm clean, and that's how God relates to me from that moment on. 
also in Romans chapter five. It's like all over the book of Romans, especially this kind of legal uh, uh, inspired book that, that one of the ones that the apostle Paul wrote. In Romans chapter five, verse 19, it says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, that was Adam, the one man, just as through the disobedience of the one man that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So because of Adam's sin, he plunged all of humanity into sin as our father, Adam and Eve, our mother and father. And it took one man, Jesus Christ, who lived sinlessly, perfectly, in the will of our Heavenly Father every moment of his life that gave us the opportunity when we receive him. And we can reject him, we can ignore him, and it doesn't benefit us, and then we're accountable for our own sins. But when we receive what that one man did, Jesus Christ, it changes what that one man did, Adam, that, that plunged all of humanity into sin. And so God declares us we're just in his sight. And, and the, the, the key here is, the, the way the Bible puts it is God, imp, the theological term is God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. He gives us, and it's a gift, Christ's righteousness. What does imputes mean? Now, that's a theological word. Let me explain it. Imputes literally means Christ's righteousness belongs to us. That, that it's, there's a switch that took place. That he took my sin upon himself on the cross. He took your sin upon himself on the cross. And when we recognize that, then we receive his righteousness. It's imputed into our life. Romans chapter five, verse 17, look at what it says. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. That, that's the result of our sin. Adam plunged it, we were infected by sin in our hearts. We're, we're, we're conceived, literally, from the moment of conception. It's, it's sin. We're infected by it. it, it it's part of our soul. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, that's what it is, you can't earn it, it's God's grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you notice what it said there? It, it said the free gift. That means you can't earn it, you can't, you, there's nothing you can do to deserve the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. If you could earn it or deserve it or work your way toward it, it's not a gift. You paid for it. You, you, you don't pay for your own gifts. At least you shouldn't. That's kind of wackadoo, you know, especially with my birthday and Christmas coming up. I'm not going to pay for my own gifts. My, my family's going to pay for the gifts for me. Or it's not a gift. And so the same thing goes when it comes to this whole idea of imputed righteousness. It's a free gift of righteousness that, that causes us, and, and don't miss what it says here in Romans 5, 17, that we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It is through the power of Jesus because God imputes that righteousness to us that he sees us as righteous. When we understand that, you know what happens? We begin to act righteous. We begin to live from the inside out the way God sees us. And so let, let me kind of break this down as an example, kind of a, a, an illustration. And, you know, no illustration is perfect, so don't draw this too tight. But, but just imagine in our sinful state, our, our hearts 
are black with sin. So, so kind of like a, a black horse, if you will, uh, representing the sinfulness of our hearts. This, every single human being is born with a heart of sin. We, we have that at the beginning, that our heart is black with sin. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, recognizing again his sinless life, sacrificial death, and his resurrection, at that moment, boom, the verdict, God says, no longer guilty, and God sees you and me, like this next slide, like a perfect white, our heart is clean, it's perfect without sin. That's the way God sees you and I. That is the understanding of the Bible and the Protestant perspective when we go back to what does the Bible actually say. Now, that's not the perspective imputed righteousness. That's not the perspective of the the theology of the Roman Catholic Church. And this was one of the big, huge, if not the biggest uh, conflict between the Roman Church, Roman Catholic Church, and the Protestant Church. Because Roman Catholicism theology doesn't say that God imputes righteousness. They say he infuses righteousness. And so you and I look like this third horse. Our hearts look like we're all spotted. So, so we're kind of forgiven, but you're not really forgiven totally. You got to work your spots off. You got to work off. You got to work really hard to be a good person. And, and this is what was going on in the 1500s. And, and, and so much so that not only do you have to work it off, but then there's they, this whole idea of purgatory, again, which is not in the Bible. And, and so it's this temporary place in Roman Catholic theology where, where you're, those that have died have to work off and, and be really good uh, in order to make it to heaven. And, and so really at best in this life, when you pass from life to death, you, you just, you're just spotted in your heart. You're still spotted. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough for you. I mean, that's literally the teachings. of the It wasn't enough that we have to work off those spots of sin in our heart. And, and, and so let me just show it to you, all three of these together. Aren't you glad that that is not the teachings of Scripture? That is not the teaching of the Bible. And Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and Zwingli and these great reformers uh, that Martin Luther was the first one, they're like, no, 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 that's not sola scriptura. That's not what the Bible says. Our hearts are, are dark with sin. And then God imputes his righteousness to us and they're white from that moment on. That's the way that God relates to us and so maybe if you're joining us if you're on our online campus right now and you're watching this with someone you know you just maybe turn to them right now and say hey you look like a horse no that's not it see this don't take this too literally it's not about horses or anything and don't tell someone they look like a horse that's not very kind and you probably need to confess that as sin but but this is the this is the understand from that moment God sees our hearts black with sin and then boom without sin Greg Williamson that moment of salvation and there's no more to work off Christ's sacrifice was enough it was completely one enough it was completely enough and so the next part of justification of being justified is this we're justified by God's grace not by works we're justified by God's grace grace the word grace literally means there's nothing you can do to earn it There's nothing you can ever do to deserve justification, forgiveness of sins. In fact, look again what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, for by works of the law, no human will be justified. 
For by work, there is, there is no human being that is counting on stuff they do to be made right with God, to be forgiven, gonna come up short. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. So you ask the question, well, what is all that stuff in the Old Testament? What is that all about? Why the Old Testament? Here's the whole thing. And, and here in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20, is what is really explaining it. All of the Old Testament, all the prophets, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff was pointing to Jesus Christ, the coming of our Savior. And all of that in the Old Testament, still very useful. The whole point of it was to point out this. None of us can do it. None of us can rid ourselves of sin. None of us can. That's what Paul's saying here. That that the whole point of it, since through the law, through the Old Testament, comes the knowledge of sin. It just shows us we are all sinners and we need a Savior. Genesis all the way through Malachi pointed to we need a savior. We need someone who's gonna do this for us because none of us could ever earn forgiveness. Not one of us. And that's why it's so important when it says for by works no human being will ever be justified. Couldn't get any clearer than that. Again, what the Bible actually says as we go back sola scriptura. The heart, the essence of the conflict uh, of the Reformation, where Martin Luther wanted to bring it back to the Scripture, and the Roman Catholic Church said, no, we're not going to do that. It's Scripture plus tradition equals truth. And, and then when it came to that moment where he said, here I stand, I, I can't recant this. My conscience won't allow, here I stand, In God's Word, I can do nothing else. It was the, the nature of what salvation actually is, is it in the plain understanding of God's word or is it all the church councils for thousands of years that have decided really what God meant to say instead of what he did say it's fundamental for our faith that's why if we're going to have unshakable faith listen if if my forgiveness and salvation is based on Greg Williamson being a good person I, I do not have unshakable faith But if my faith is based on what Jesus Christ did perfectly, once and for all, for me, my faith now can be unshakable. It's unshakable, no matter what the circumstances, the situations, the culture, the climate, the crisis, I can have unshakable faith because I rest on Jesus and his completed work through his life and his death and his resurrection This is what we talked about last week. I'll look at it again real quick. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. So you can see this is not just in the book of Romans. It's all throughout the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace, there it is again. It's grace. We're justified by grace. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. And there it is, not by grace works just say that out loud with me right now not by works one more time i almost heard you right through the screen not by works that's it it's not by works couldn't be any more clear in scripture so here's the thing so that no one can boast see when we really understand what jesus did for you and i that God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life there's nothing about works in that 
Nothing about works in that. When we realize what God has done for you and I, you know what? It makes us so humble. There is no place to be proud. I, I, I haven't done anything. You haven't done anything. We haven't deserved anything. We're humbled. Pride is just incompatible with a real follower of Christ. That we'd be proud of our faith, proud of who we are. Look at what I, it, it, it's inconsistent with our faith. It's not by work. So no one can boast. No one can be arrogant that, that God has forgiven them of their sins because we had nothing to do with it. It's not by works. So no one can boast. Here's the last point about justification. Then I want to answer some, some questions because sometimes there's some confusion. God justifies us through our faith in Christ alone. God justifies you and I through our faith in Christ alone. Well, how do you know that, Greg? Sola fide, faith alone. Sola Christa, Christ alone. Where'd you get that idea from? Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Faith alone in Christ. Faith alone, Christ alone. Where do you know that from, Greg? Scripture alone. See how it works? See how important it is? One of the other rally cries also was sola gracia, grace alone. Grace alone. That's our heritage as Protestants. Faith in God alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. We understand that through the scripture alone and it's by sola gracia, grace. God's grace, We unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. That's what Romans chapter five, verse one tells us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, nothing about works there, y'all. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith, faith in Christ. Nothing to do with our works. So here, here's the first question. I, I think sometimes if you kind of pondered this, maybe, maybe this is a question that you've had before. Why did God choose faith for receiving justification? I mean, what's, what's the big deal about faith? What, what is it about having faith? Why, he could have chosen anything that, that, you know, was kind of the key to, to, to being forgiven. Why did he choose faith? I'm glad you asked. Uh, here's the reason why. Because faith is one of the attitudes of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves in, in other words faith is all about him when the sinful nature inside of me and you we want to be independent of him we want to do it ourselves you know just like a kid I remember when my daughter one of my daughters was always like this I can do it myself I can do it myself I can do it myself and she had no idea what she was doing she's like three years old I can do it myself that that actually is the sin nature inside of even a young child there. And so faith is one of the attitudes of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves, relying on our sinful nature. When we come to Christ in faith, we're essentially saying, I give up. I give up. I, I, I give up. I surrender. I, I can't do this on my own. I need a Savior because I'm never going to be good enough. I give up. I'm never going to be good enough on my own. I'll never be able to do enough good works. 
I know that I can never make myself righteous before God. Therefore, Jesus, I trust you and I depend upon your complete work of salvation in my life to make me right, make me righteous and standing before God. Faith is the attitude that perfectly fits salvation because it depends not at all on our own good. It depends 100% on Christ, sola Christo. It's a free gift of God's grace. That's why the reformers, Martin Luther on, were so firm on their insistence that justification comes not through faith plus works, but only on our faith in Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola Christo, Christ alone. How do we know it? Sola Scriptura, through Scripture alone. How do we receive it? Sola gratia, by grace alone. So important. So here, here's a question. If you know some about the Bible, maybe you have this question uh, about this whole idea of faith alone, faith or works. What does, in the book of James, what does it mean? What does James mean when he's saying that we're justified by works? I, I mean, that's what the Bible says. Look at it. James chapter 2, verse 24. It seems like these things contradict one another now. Hold up, hold up. James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, this is where the twist came. This, this is where the Roman Catholic Church bases this. But the reality is that we need to kind of unpack this a little bit and really understand what's being said there. So it seems like to contradict Paul's teaching that one is justified by faith alone. We looked at it, Romans 3.28. But the two are actually compatible. Here's the thing. For James, faith alone, just I have faith in God, uh, is a bogus kind of faith. It's just mere intellectual agreement without a genuine personal trust in Christ that bears fruit in one's life. In other words, when I, by faith alone, put my faith in Christ, you know what? There's gonna be some change in my life. Not that I have to do, but it's the fruit of the faith. Don't get tripped up on where it says works, like I gotta do stuff. It's the fruit of the faith. And, and, and really what, what James is arguing, James and Paul are in agreement, is that true faith is never alone. It always produces fruit. It always produces good works. That, that's a, the demonstration that we really have faith in God. And in fact, Martin Luther himself put it this way, and I love this quote. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never really alone because that moment when we're declared righteous and we place our faith in Christ that simultaneously that the gavel hits and not guilty and I see you now completely perfect without sin. That's God's perspective on you and me when that happens. Then you know what begins? Our life begins to change. He begins to change us. And no one's ever perfected in this life, but we're getting better all the time. I'm not the man that I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We're changing all the time, and who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow, or or five years from now, or 10 years from now, or or 20 or 30, if if the Lord gives me that many years. There's, There's fruit of faith, but it's not we have to earn forgiveness. That's not it at all. And I think Martin Luther just put it so clearly. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith, 
But the faith that saves us is never really alone. And so what it does is faith, when we put our faith in Christ, it kind of gets us out of our own self, selfishness especially, the sin ultimately is all about selfishness. And it begins to change and, and we begin to look at on how we can help other people, how we can help our fellow man, how we can help those around us. And, and that's why it, it's so important that we do have opportunities to put our faith in action, that, that, that our faith can, can begin to bear fruit and we live from the inside out. In fact, it's kind of funny that uh, coming up on October the 23rd, uh, we found out, and we found out this just this past week, we didn't even know about it, but it's National Make a Difference Day. <laughs> National Make a Difference Day, and we have an opportunity for everyone to make a difference, and that's our Dream Team Day, October 23rd. And in fact, we've got these great t-shirts uh, that, that actually say difference maker on them. We're going to give them to every single person that has been serving on our dream team, that, that you can join a dream team. You can sign up to join a specific dream team. Let us know you're coming. Uh, maybe you're not sure what dream team or you don't see it in the pull-down menu. It's primarily, we're talking about Sunday. These are our volunteers. Uh, that, that come on out at 9 o'clock on October the 23rd uh, because we, you, you'll have an opportunity to join a dream team right there. And then we're going to train you. We're going to celebrate. It's a big party. So we're asking everybody that currently serves on any dream team or if you want to get involved, that, that this is one of the ways that our faith bears fruit by serving others. And how cool is it that it's actually on National Make a Difference Day and we already had those T-shirts printed, Difference Maker. Uh, we're just giving those to you as a as gift and we've got some special cups and some special awards that we're going to be handing out to those that have just been so faithful uh, in serving on our dream team. We need your help. And, and this is a great opportunity to just let your faith bear fruit by serving others, by, by reaching out and making a difference. See, what does this mean for you and me? What, what does this really mean for you and me? Well, it's hope. It gives us hope. But because we know that we'll never be good enough. On my best days, I'm still not good enough to deserve to be forgiven and pardoned by God. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent his son, our savior, God himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the son of God. John chapter one. Makes a huge difference. We'll never be good enough for God to accept us by our own good works. It also means, and this is good news, God will never punish us for our sins that have been forgiven through Christ's work. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we will not stand and have to be punished eternally for any sin we've committed. We've been declared righteous and perfect. Now, now what is, God forgives us. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences to our sins that we still commit. There are still consequences, but, but God will not punish us in eternity. There is no purgatory to work it off. That we're forgiven when we've received Christ Jesus as our Savior and Lord and we've surrendered our life, I surrender, God. I receive your free gift.
of forgiveness. Romans chapter eight, verse one. I think it's so important, I just wanted to go back to it again. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have received him, there's no condemnation. Well, let me end with this. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies, I love uh, war movies, uh, historical movies, and one of my favorites, actually not historical, but man, it's fantastic, war movie, World War II, is uh, Saving Private Ryan. Maybe you've seen it before. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, Private James Ryan is a paratrooper in the D-Day invasion, and uh, Sergeant Miller, uh, Tom Hanks plays him, uh, Captain Miller, rather, uh, is ordered to take his squad behind enemy lines on a dangerous mission to find and retrieve this one man, Private Ryan, James Ryan, played by Matt Damon. Uh, He's the youngest of four brothers, and Ryan's other three brothers was were killed actually already in the war. And they just found that out. And so he's the lone survivor of four brothers. And so they're sent out to find him, looking all over in Captain Miller, the climax there. And it's been out a long time, so if you haven't seen it, I'm gonna spoil it for you because it's only like 20 plus years old. Uh, but, but in the climactic kind of scene there as he saves Private Ryan uh, and Captain Miller takes a fatal wound he says something under his breath. And it's so powerful, that movie. And, and Private Ryan leans down and he grabs him by the collar and he says, earn this. Earn this. Earn this. And, and there's something about our our soul, our sinfulness. We've been taught so much as you don't get anything in this life, you get rewarded for stuff you do, you earn. But I think when it comes to our faith, it's the exact opposite. I I think what the message that God wants you and I to hear as we think about Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, he's not saying earn this. Instead, he's saying, receive this. Receive this gift I'm giving to you. You can't earn it. Just receive it by grace. Receive forgiveness. Respond. We receive God's free gift of forgiveness by grace, and we respond to what Christ did for us with actions and obedience that's fueled with gratitude. Those are the good works. That's the fruit of our faith. Because we're forgiven, because God changes our hearts, it changes our selfish perspective, and we look, how can I help other people? How can I impact other people? How can I make a difference in other people's lives to show them the love of Jesus Christ that God showed me by sending his son to live, to die, and to rise from the dead for me. I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we, can, we don't deserve the gift of salvation. 
We certainly can't earn it. There's no good works that would make it available to us. It's a free gift. And God, I pray that even as we've looked at your word, your Holy Spirit would continue just to drive this truth deep, deep down into our hearts that it is by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, not by works so no one can boast. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now I just want to lead you in a prayer. You can repeat after me and receive Christ as your Savior. Just pray with me now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sins today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I ask you to lead me, guide me, and direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward. I put my faith in you. Amen.